Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Many Canadians of a certain vintage remember exactly where they were when sprinter Ben Johnson shattered the 100-meter world record at the 1988 Seoul Olympics, becoming, for a short time, a Canadian hero. I was camping and listened on a radio. The entire campground erupted in cheers when Johnson clocked a miraculous time of 9.79 seconds. 20-year-old Donovan Bailey was at an Ontario bar watching the race on TV. The bartender passed around free drinks after Johnson won gold, and Bailey joined the celebration. It was an amazing accomplishment, but it would soon turn into a national embarrassment. After the Olympic victory, Ben Johnson tested positive for muscle-building anabolic steroids and was stripped of his medal. The record-breaking time was erased from the books. It was devastating for Canada and for the sport of track and field. In the years that followed, young sprinters like Donovan Bailey trained and competed in the shadow of the steroid scandal. Spectators and sponsors turned away from the sport in droves. But Bailey never gave up. He was on his own journey to become the fastest man in the world. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, I'm joined by the legend himself, Donovan Bailey. Donovan Bailey was born in Manchester, Jamaica in 1967. His family moved to Oakville, Ontario, just outside of Toronto, when he was 12. In a recent interview, he told me that track and field found him at an early age. I mean, sports was something that I did, and uh, I think that it was quickly found out that I was fast. <laughs> when, so as a four-year-old, a five-year-old, I was probably faster than the, than the regular kids uh, playing in the schoolyard. Uh, and and so uh, from being from Jamaica and track and field is kind of like what hockey is in Canada. You know, every kid, every single kid in Jamaica starts with track and field. So no matter how tall you are, how short you are, what size you are, uh, in, in the great thing about the sports of track and field is that you'll always find an event for someone to do. Everybody, there's an event for every single person. So fortunately, uh, sprinting was mine. Bailey competed on his high school track team, but surprisingly didn't take sprinting seriously until he was a little bit older. Basketball was his passion while attending Sheridan College in his hometown of Oakville. After graduating from college with a business diploma, he focused on building a small consulting company. And he was doing pretty well, driving around town in a new Porsche. Then in 1991, at the age of 23, he attended the National Track Championships in Montreal. As he watched the races, Bailey concluded he could run faster than anyone there. So he shifted his focus from business to track and began to seriously train as a runner. With his natural speed, Bailey quickly became competitive, but his form wasn't that great. And some coaches said he had a bad attitude. He was left off the Canadian teams for the 1991 Worlds and the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Two years later, though, fate brought a man into Bailey's life who would help him turn things around. In 1994, while attending the World Championships in Stuttgart, Germany, Bailey met Dan Pfaff, a sprint specialist. 
he immediately recognized that Bailey had what it would take to become the world's best. Not only did he have the proper distribution of muscle mass, the balance between quadriceps and hamstrings, he had impossibly long legs. A Sports Illustrated article from 1996 described the sprinter this way. Bailey looks like he has been constructed from spare parts. He wears a size 46 jacket, but has a 28-inch waist and a 34-inch inseam. But according to his new coach, Dan Pfaff, Bailey was a bit of a mess from a biomechanical perspective. One foot splayed out 30 degrees, the other 25 degrees, and he dragged one leg when he ran. His head was back, he wasn't breathing, and his arms flailed. So Pfaff came up with a plan, and after three months of sprinting, lifting, and improving his diet, Bailey trimmed a third of a second from his time. And it was just the beginning of what the two men would accomplish together. Unfortunately, as Bailey was ascending to the top of his game, the shadow of Ben Johnson followed him around. After the 88 games, an aggressive, no-notice drug testing program was introduced for athletes in Canada. Officials said it was the only way to clean up the country's tarnished image. You see, after Johnson's positive test at the Olympics, the Canadian federal government established the Dubbin Inquiry to look into the use of banned substances in sports and it exposed widespread and rampant drug use among athletes in Canada. After the inquiry, the Canadian Centre for Drug-Free Sport was established, and it was given the power to drug test more Canadian athletes more often. As a result of these changes, Coach Dan Pfaff often complained that Bailey and his teammate, Bruni Surin, were being singled out beyond what was appropriate. He told the New York Times in 1995 that it bordered on harassment. The media, too, wouldn't leave the matter alone. By the spring of 1995, after training with Pfaff for just over a year, Bailey broke 10 seconds in the 100 meter. And then he set a Canadian record at the National Championships in Montreal when he finished in 9.91 seconds. It was a massive achievement. But reporters constantly questioned whether Bailey was running clean, and they compared him to Ben Johnson. Imagine that I'm taking over, uh, you know, a Fortune 500 company and the CEO that was in that company, you know, embezzled money, stole money, you know, basically ran the business into the ground. And I showed up and I take that company with all what it has and uh, it becomes uh, the most profitable business in the world. But every single time Uh, I sit to have a press conference, I get asked about the CEO from before. I'm like, after a while, it does get frustrating, yes. But Bailey, who calls himself an optimist, tried not to dwell on the injustice of the situation and instead resigned himself to working with the hand he was dealt. At the 1995 Worlds in Sweden, Bailey was up against reigning champion Linford Christie from Britain. At the age of 35, Christie was coming to the end of his career. But according to Bailey, the sprinter still had what he called a psychological hold over most of his competitors. Not for Bailey, though. He told the New York Times in 1995 that in the past, he wasn't mentally prepared to deal with guys like Christie. Now he said, I respect Christie, but I don't fear him. And really, he had no reason to. He was having a great year. And now was his chance to prove he could be the world's best. In the final heat on Sunday, August 6, 1995,
Bailey lurched awkwardly out of the starting blocks, quickly falling behind Christy and the other competitors. But then 15 meters into the race, Bailey surged into overdrive. With long, powerful strides, he began to close the gap. Then Bailey shouted what has been described as a string of obscenities and gave himself a final push. Amazingly, while everyone else was slowing down, Bailey was still accelerating as he passed the finish line in first place. That's the thing with Bailey. He may have often been sluggish out of the blocks, but he made up for it because he had a knack for being slower to slow down than his competitors. His final time, 9.97 seconds, was just a fraction ahead of his teammate, Bruni Surin. Canada was 1-2 at the top of the podium in the 100 meters at the World Championships. The country had come a long way since the 1988 Ben Johnson fiasco. After winning gold at the Worlds, Bailey signed endorsement deals with Air Canada, Kellogg's, Degree Antiperspirants, and Coke. But he still wasn't a household name. Far from it. So heading into the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, Bailey knew that winning gold at the Summer Games would be the final jewel he needed in his crown. But just three weeks before the Olympics, Bailey suffered a terrible injury. I had a seven-centimeter tear in my left adductor. I, I, over, I, I, was, I was competing in, in, in Nice, in France, about three and a half weeks before the Games. And, and so I, I made a mistake at the end of the, at the, end of the race, and, and I ended up having a seven-centimeter tear that I couldn't walk. Uh, we didn't know if I was going to compete. We are trying to keep that down, keep the media away. You know, but again talk about belief, and talking about my team. Bailey's team was really just two people, his coach, Dan Pfaff, and Mark Lindsay, the sprinter's friend and chiropractor. After three days not walking, Lindsay got Bailey back on his feet. Using a combination of chiropractic techniques, physiotherapy, acupuncture, massage, and soft tissue work. It's been called a Swiss Army knife approach, using a little bit of everything. And it's pretty common now in pro sports, but it really wasn't in 1996. Using this technique helped put Lindsay on the map. He's gone on to become a rehab specialist to the stars and has worked with a bunch of A-list athletes, including Tiger Woods, Connor McDavid, Peyton Manning, and Sidney Crosby. As for Donovan Bailey, his injury wasn't the only distraction heading into the Games. A week and a half before his Olympic debut, Sports Illustrated published an article that caused quite a stir. The headline read, Blast from the North, Donovan Bailey was unbeatable at the Worlds, but in Canada, he can't outrun the shadow of Ben Johnson. In the article, both Bailey and his teammate Bruni Surin noted that before Johnson tested positive for steroid use, he was referred to as a Canadian. After he was stripped of his medal, Media and others began calling him a Jamaican-Canadian, or a Jamaican-born sprinter, with no mention of Canada at all. Overnight, Johnson went from Canadian hero to the butt of scorn and jokes. And the Sports Illustrated article said that both Bailey and Surin believed the reaction to Johnson may have had more to do with his race than steroids. It was a thought-provoking comment, for sure, but it was the next sentence that caused trouble for Bailey. He was quoted as saying, Canada is as blatantly racist as the United States. We know it exists. People who don't appear to be Canadian, people of color, don't get the same treatment. First of all, I was asked if, there was, if racism exists in Canada. And I said, yes, but it's not as blatantly racist as it is in the U.S. I mean, I left Oakville and I lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
you know, so clearly I was, what I was seeing in front of me, I'm like, oh my God, you know, there's, when you go to a place, uh, you're in a town and there's a, there's like, there's a McDonald's that the Mexican guys, Mexican people go to. There's a McDonald's that the black people go to. And there's a McDonald's that the white people go to. And I'm thinking, I'm from Oakville. I just want a hamburger. I don't, I don't care who makes it or who serves it to me. So yes, uh, so I'm, I'm saying that that's how simple that was. It was a simple. It was a simple. It was a simple question for me, person, and it's still a simple question to me today. So when the article came out, Bailey maintained that he said Canada isn't as racist as the U.S. The interview for the article had taken place seven months earlier, and Michael Farber, the Montreal journalist who wrote it, initially stood by his work and said he took careful notes. But later on, he admitted that he might have been incorrect. After the article came out. Reporters wanting clarification swamped Bailey's agents with phone calls, who insisted the whole thing was blown out of proportion. Mark Locke, one of Bailey's agents, said the sprinter would not be holding a news conference to address the matter. He was in seclusion at a secret training location near Austin, Texas, getting ready for the Atlanta Games. When Caroline Letherin, the head of the Canadian Olympic Committee, was asked about Bailey's comments at a news conference, she responded by saying, We've certainly not discriminated against any of our athletes. She spoke and said that racism didn't, that didn't happen in Canada. And I'm like, oh my God, that is crazy. I mean, one, the first thing that you should do is come and have a conversation with me. Uh, as the number one athlete in the world, I expected that the CEO, you know, CEO was going to say, Mr. Bailey, can I have a meeting with you before you go to a press conference? Uh, but they went to a press conference and I'm like, well, I'm just telling you what I'm telling you what it is that that I'm speaking about. <laughs> and, um, you know, so be it. When Canada's prime minister, Jean Chrétien, was asked about the comments, he appeared not to even know who Bailey was. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that person is. I just say that I know that in Canada, we're fighting racism all the time. As the controversy continued to swirl, Donovan Bailey was on his way to make his Olympic debut, but not before the Games were rocked by unforeseen tragedy. At any Summer Olympics, the men's 100-meter final is the marquee event and takes place halfway through the Games on what is known as Super Saturday. Today, the competition has three heats and then a final. But in 1996, there were four rounds before the final. The first two qualifying races took place on Friday, July 26th at Centennial Olympic Stadium in Atlanta. Afterwards, Bailey went back to his room, had some physical therapy, a bit of dinner, and went to sleep. He was relaxed and confident about the next day's events. But while Bailey slept, something terrible happened at Centennial Olympic Park. A homemade pipe bomb spiked with nails and screws was left under a bench inside a backpack. At 1.20 a.m., it exploded, shaking the ground and buildings nearby. The flash was fiery orange. Smoke billowed into the sky, and the smell of gunpowder was intense. Nails and screws rained down on the crowd, the metal bits slicing through unresisting clothing and flesh of scores of spectators. When the dust settled, bodies were scattered everywhere. Screaming and moaning filled the air. 111 people were injured, including two dozen police officers. 44-year-old Alice Hawthorne was killed. She had been at the park with her 14-year-old daughter, who was also injured in the blast. You may remember from the episode we did on this in Season 1, 
that Eric Rudolph, an anti-abortion terrorist, was eventually convicted for the Olympic bombing and several other related attacks. Donovan Bailey was shocked when he woke up Saturday morning and heard the news. I got up that morning and uh, Dan said to me, there's a bombing. And of course, my first reaction was, uh, good one, Dan. I realize you're trying to, I said, I said, that's not funny. Good one. Um, I said, if you really think that you're, you're going to get me out of my zone, that's never going to happen. So I thought he was trying to see how focused I was. He looked at me and then he just walked over and he put the TV on and then just walked outside. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, what happened? You know, did anyone get hurt? You know, like all of these things. And, and then of course, that's the first thought. And then the second was, oh no, they're gonna cancel the games. But later that day, Olympic officials announced that the games would go on, just as they did in 1972, when Palestinian terrorists killed 11 Israelis at the Munich games. Centennial Park was closed as police investigated the crime scene, but all events would go ahead as scheduled, including the 100-meter final. Despite the chaos around him, Bailey says he was very relaxed and prepared to win heading into the final. 83,000 fans filled the stadium on Saturday night to watch the race, which was delayed by 10 minutes because of three false starts. Two of them were blamed on reigning gold medalist Linford Christie. The British sprinter was disqualified, but then he appealed, so racers stood around awaiting the result, which eventually confirmed his removal from the event. Christie shook his head in disbelief as he was forced to watch from the sidelines. When the race finally started, Bailey, like always, was a bit slow out of the blocks, but then at 30 meters, he kicked it into high gear and began to accelerate, powering past the field in his final 10 strides crossing the finish line in 9.84 seconds. It was a blistering new world record. Donovan Bailey was the fastest man in the world. And you're probably picturing the moment Bailey realized it. It's an image burned into our collective memory. Donovan Bailey running, mouth wide open, looking up at the crowd with a mixture of shock and joy spread across his face. I knew I was going to win. I knew I'd won probably at about a 60-meter mark. So when I passed the line... I just looked back at the clock and I knew that I'd had, I'd ran a personal best. So I wasn't really concerned about even the world record at the time uh, because I had such a terrible first 30 meters. I actually didn't think I was going to run that fast. Um, so yes, so that when I looked at the clock, I was just surprised at the time that I ran uh, based on such an incredibly terrible first 30 meters. So that's, that's, that was my surprise. Namibia's Frank Fredericks took silver at 9.89 seconds, and bronze went to Addo Bolden of Trinidad and Tobago, who finished in 9.9 seconds. Together, the top three sprinters were the fastest medalists ever recorded at the Olympics. Bailey's teammate Bruni Surin, who had won silver at the World Championships, failed to make the finals after finishing fifth in his semifinal heat with a run of 10.13 seconds. But Donovan Bailey and Bruni Surin weren't done yet. The pair had another chance to win gold a week later when they ran in the 4x100 relay with fellow Canadians Glenroy Gilbert and Robert Esme. He was a late addition to the team, replacing Carlton Chambers, who was injured. The Canadian relay team was seen as underdogs, at least on paper. They weren't the fastest team out there, so the gold medal would depend on how well they executed the transitions. Media attention was mostly focused on the U.S. relay team, 
which had won 14 out of 18 previous 4x100 events. They had actually never lost a race that they had finished. They were disqualified a couple of times for dropping the baton, and they missed the boycotted 1980 event. Heading into the 1996 race, there was talk that track legend Carl Lewis, who had dominated the sports in the 1980s, would join the U.S. relay team at the Atlanta Games. Lewis was hoping to set a record by earning his 10th Olympic gold medal as part of the U.S. relay team, and he lobbied coaches through the media to allow him to run in the race. But at the last minute, they decided to leave him off the team. In the end, it probably didn't matter. The Canadian team, anchored by Donovan Bailey, barbecued their opponents, winning the race with a time of 37.69 seconds. It was just 0.29 seconds shy of the world record. Some speculated at the time that the Canadians could possibly have set the world record if Bailey didn't slow his pace by raising his right hand in the air in celebration, just 15 meters from the finish line. After the race, Bailey said, I want to apologize to my teammates for that. I think we could have had the world record. And remember earlier when I mentioned that Prime Minister Jean Chrétien seemed not to know who Bailey was when asked about his racism comments? Well, after winning two gold medals, the sprinter was no longer a stranger to the PM. After the relay team won, Chrétien personally called Bailey and his teammates to offer his congratulations. He said, Canada feels very good at this moment, adding, I'm tempted to call an election. Bailey's performance at the Olympics had finally made him a household name in Canada. Once and for all, he laid to rest the shame of the Ben Johnson doping scandal. Donovan Bailey was the fastest man in the world. For everyone, it would seem, except one nation. The U.S. team was the defending Olympic champions and world record holders. And they were running on home soil. So the Canadian victories really hurt. After Bailey won the 100-meter final, the American media, headed up by legendary sports broadcaster Bob Costas, pushed the idea that American sprinter Michael Johnson was actually the fastest man. Johnson had also won gold in Atlanta in the 200-meter race. And in fact, like Bailey, he had shattered the world record with a time of 19.32 seconds. Costas came up with this idea that if you divide Johnson's time in half you get a 100-meter time of 9.66 seconds, 0.18 seconds faster than Bailey. Here's what's crazy. They're trying to do that to calculate what Michael would have possibly ran in the 100 meters. But funny enough, they they did not add both of my times from the 100 meters and the relay leg to, 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 to calculate what I would have run in his 200 meters. And, ba- and based upon the calculations, I would have ran something like 18.8 seconds in the 200 meters. And it's clear that there's someone doing some crazy math someplace. Traditionally, the 100 meter race at the Olympics determined the world's fastest man. Now suddenly the rules were changing and it just didn't make sense. But it didn't matter. Other U.S. sports commentators picked up on the concept And even Sports Illustrated ran an article that took a deep dive into the controversy. And just to add insult to injury, Michael Johnson was named Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press in 1996. Bailey was completely shut out of the balloting. The Canadian sprinter did not receive a single vote. Michael Johnson told the media that Bailey's accomplishments weren't that big a deal. 
No, he's relatively new on the track circuit. He's only been on the circuit for about three years, although he's the same age as I am. But uh, you know, he's won the big races, but he hasn't established a lot of consistency. And in this sport, that's very important. You have to establish a lot of consistency because it's more than, I mean, you can't really survive off of just an Olympic gold medal every four years. As for Sports Illustrated, it picked Tiger Woods as Sportsman of the Year in 1996, leaving track and field out altogether. When Bailey complained about what he called a lack of American media respect, Sports Illustrated fired back by writing an opinion piece that basically called him a whiner. The question of who was the fastest man in the world followed Bailey and Johnson as they traveled the European track circuit after the Olympics. Over the next several months, verbal sparring between the two became a regular feature at news conferences and media scrums. Bailey and Johnson even got into a shouting match before a meet in Berlin. Behind the scenes, though, the two sprinters were being courted by a slew of promoters who wanted to organize a fastest man competition to settle the dispute once and for all. Surprisingly, the company that landed the gig was Magellan Group a small Ottawa company with little experience in sports or any big events for that matter. The deal paid Bailey and Johnson $500,000 each just for running, and the winner would receive another million, which was a huge purse by track and field standards at the time. The event was called the one-to-one challenge, and it would feature a 150-meter race. It wouldn't be sanctioned by the sports governing body, so the results wouldn't be official. It was set for June 1st, 1997 in Toronto at the Blue Jays' home stadium, which was still known at the time as Skydome. Both men were in attendance at a news conference the day the event was announced. I fear no one. And when when you step on the track, it's war. I have nothing against Donovan personally, and I don't think he has anything against me personally. But, I mean, when you get on the track, anyone out there is a rival and they're an enemy. And that's the way it is. The promoter, Magellan Group, was quickly in over its head. And while they were planning the event, they struggled to keep things from going off the rails. At one point, they had missed paying several bills and the whole event was on the verge of being cancelled. Then a Toronto real estate developer named Edwin Kogan bailed them out with a million dollar investment. And their troubles weren't over. Just before the event, Donovan Bailey threatened to pull out over issues he had with the configuration of the track. The first 75 meters were on a curve and the last 75 a straightaway. Bailey's coach, Dan Pfaff, said the track was drastically altered from what was agreed to in their contract. The radius was much tighter than promised, giving a huge advantage to Johnson in the race. Bailey told the Toronto Star at the time that the mismanagement of the event had taken its toll on him. But in the end, he decided to go ahead to run the race under duress. On June 1st, 1997, nearly 40,000 people filled Skydome to witness the showdown between the two track gladiators. But the one-to-one challenge was much more than a single 150-meter race. There were a number of other undercard track events, with a few exciting matchups, including Jackie Joyner-Kersey versus German rival Heike Drexler in the long jump. Plus, there was entertainment, including a performance by the Blues Brothers and appearances by local celebrities like Marcus Camby, who was in his rookie season with the Raptors. Two and a half million people tuned into the one-hour CBC broadcast for the main event. Tension was high as the two men made their way to the starting line. And the blocks are ready to go. Bailey popped from his starting blocks and passed Johnson in the first 50 meters. 
As they began to exit the 75-meter curve, Bailey was clearly ahead. Then suddenly, Johnson grabbed his left thigh, pulling up with an apparent leg injury. Looking over his shoulder, Bailey crossed the finish line alone in 14.99 seconds. Fireworks exploded and fans cheered wildly, but it was not the outcome anyone was expecting. Donovan Bailey doing what he said he would do. He said he would put pressure on. Every step of this race has been taken with bravado, but after it was over, Bailey took it one step too far. He didn't pull up. He's a chicken. He didn't pull up at all. He's just a, he's just a chicken. He's afraid to lose. I think what he should do is we should run this race over again so he can kick his ass one more time. At a news conference after the race, Bailey stood by his comments, and reporters couldn't resist asking him one final time the question that had started the whole thing in the first place. Who's the fastest man in the world? Well, you know what? I've always uh, said that um, this race was never going to prove who the fastest man in the world is. All it was going to do is to shut Michael Johnson up. But Bailey took a lot of heat for the comments he made that night on live TV. I went on Canada AM and and I went on the uh, Regis and Kathy Lee show to basically apologize because the sponsors are, oh, you know, that's not sportsmanlike. And I'm thinking... All that trash talking leading up to this, do you know what the guy was saying to me? And really, this is about competition. And what happens, you happen to put the mic in my face when I was slightly heated. And it was at, like, if you if you said, okay, give him three minutes so he can, so he can, <laughs> he can calm down. Bailey says the trash talk between the two was entirely real. He says back in the day, it was a big part of track. He thinks sports and athletes in general are way too polite these days. But that said, Bailey harbors no hard feelings toward his opponent. I have a massively healthy respect for Michael Johnson to this day. Michael Johnson is the best speed endurance guy in the, in the history of the world. That means he's one of the best 200 meters and the best 400 meter guy who ever walked the face of the earth. And, and so I uh, have a healthy respect for him, but yes, I had to apologize for calling him a chicken. <laughs> Not only was the 1997 race at Skydome a win for Bailey and Johnson's bank accounts, it was a win for track overall. Some have even said it helped to elevate the sport to a place it had not been for a very long time. You know, the 150, it was the first athlete-owned promotion. You know, so yes, uh, I was crowned the fastest man in the world again, uh, but, but also... Uh, it is it is still the highest grossing promotionals uh, event of any track and field athlete in history, even to this day. And it will never, ever ha- happen again. That, that I know that. So Michael Johnson and I are definitely trailblazers in that. Donovan Bailey made a second Olympic attempt at the 2000 Summer Games in Sydney, but he suffered from pneumonia and had to drop out. He retired from the sport in 2001 after the World Championships in Edmonton. Today, Bailey continues to live in Oakville, but you won't see him out for a jog or working out at the local gym. Bailey says he hates lifting weights. He would rather meet up with his college friends to play a little basketball. Bailey has worked as a TV commentator for CBC, CTV, and Eurovision, and he has a podcast called Running Things with Donovan Bailey. Make sure you stick around to the end because we will be playing an episode from his show. 
While working at the 2021 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, Bailey watched with the rest of the world as Andre de Grasse became the first Canadian man to win gold in the 200 meters since Percy Williams did in 1928. 26-year-old de Grasse was also the first Canadian to win gold in any track event since Bailey's accomplishment in 1996. You know, I recognize, you know, I've had my time. I was the greatest that walked the face of the earth in my time. So it's so important for me to to cheer on these athletes, especially if they're young Canadians, for them to get to that place. And like I said, get to that place where you can sit on top of the podium. And if you can sit on top of the podium and be serenaded by by the national anthem, it means that you are at the pinnacle of the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Following the momentous occasion, Bailey tweeted at DeGrasse, welcome to the club. Thanks for joining me on this look back at the amazing career of a Canadian icon. And thanks to Donovan Bailey for taking the time to chat with me. Don't forget, stick around until after the credits to check out Donovan's podcast, Running Things. You can also find it anywhere you stream audio or take a look in the show notes for the link. The idea for this episode came from a few listeners, including David Aliverte, who reached out to me through Instagram. Thanks to him and everyone else who sends in ideas. If you have a topic suggestion, please let me know. You can reach me through social media. Just send me a message on Twitter or Facebook at 1990s History or on Instagram at That90sPodcast. You can also send me an email at 90s at CuriousCast.ca. That's 90s at CuriousCast.ca. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kathy Kinzora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s. Middle of the sun, wide to the left. Brady looking the other way. Brady going deep down the right sideline for Evans. He makes the catch. He's in for the score. He's back. Really? Whatever. We're back. That's all you need to know. Donovan Bailey running things, Jason Portwondo alongside DB, the living legend. And, you know, I don't mind when people change their mind, but <laughs> this had to have been the shortest retirement in the history of sports. Tom Brady, make up your damn mind. That's all I got to say. Good Come morning. on. Good morning, DB. Come on, sir. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> First of all, Jason, why are you surprised? I mean, why? I'm more annoyed than I am surprised. Nah. This is not Tom Brady's world. Well, it, it apparently is. I guess you so. know it apparently is. No, here's I am. I am absolutely not surprised. I mean, and and I think that when someone's in, in but what could have changed in the last nine hours since he his, retired? His mind, his 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 mind. I mean, I think that as an athlete, okay, uh, Tom Brady. Yes, everyone keeps talking about his age, but understand that one, he's been playing this kid's game his entire life. That's number one. Number two, he's healthy. There's no major injuries that he has, which is a reason why most uh, athletes at the highest level. I retired because I was injured and I just couldn't physically couldn't do it anymore. But mentally, I always always knew I could. Tom, not only is he not injured uh, and 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 physically sound, but he, you got off one of the best seasons, man. One of the best seasons, uh, you know, in the league uh, and of his career. So I, I don't know why it is that people are so, 
upset that um, that the man decides like, hey, listen, you know what? Let me go hang out with the wife for a little while. Uh, let me uh, let me yeah, travel. Heavy on the little. Yeah, let me let me let me let me hang out with the kids. I'm home. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going back. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like I don't. I'm telling you, man, I don't know why it is that 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 it, that shocks people. And I and I love I love the fact that that uh, you know he is allowing himself to at least let his body or his team betray him before he decides he's going to walk off uh, the walk off the the field. Man, all I know is he's not winning the Super Bowl. So you, you know hope. what? I know he isn't. Oh, that Jason. team is not winning the Super Bowl. Oh, Jason. So good on Brady for coming back to lose again. Good, good for you if Here, you want to do that. Here's my prediction with this. Okay, right. Uh, one, uh, whatever. I clearly don't know what's happening in the, in the in the inner workings of the team. But when Tom decided he's going to come back, I'm very certain that uh, AB is going to be replaced. So he's going to have uh, another receiver that's fast that can. That, he's going to have another iconic receiver let's just say that or, or, or an all-star uh receiver gronk is definitely going to come back oh for sure uh, and I, what i'm saying to you is that the team the team now wants to run it back and and uh and and whether or not they win the super bowl or not you can see exactly what has happened the last 10 years with tom is either he lose a playoff game the next year he wins the super bowl and this year he exited early. So man, listen, I'm not gonna count the old man out. Hey, all I'm, I'm not counting him out. <laughs> he just won't win at all. But I mean, I respect the fact that he's that age. Last year led the league in passing touchdowns. Yeah. Led the league in passing yards. Him and Gronk are like the bad boys. They're like Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. So yeah. they're just gonna roll together. I get it. But again, he upstages Aaron Rodgers. The first time Rodgers <laughs> got the MVP, Brady's like. I'm retiring. Okay, right. upstages him. And, and then, of course, <laughs> Rodgers now gets a huge deal, $200 gazillion. And then Brady says, I, I, I'm back. So Roger Clemens gave us misremembering. And then now Tom Brady gives us unretiring. Yes. You're a Man U fan. I am. He recently made a trip to Old Trafford. Absolutely. Did Cristiano Ronaldo have anything to do with this? Uh, probably listen it, it's a small circle when hmm. when you're when, there's a when you have a bunch of goats uh that uh that gather there's probably something brewing and and i'm very certain christiana said what the hell dude you look good uh come on the pitch well, he always I mean, looks good yeah, well that, that's probably true yeah. that's probably true but i'm very certain very very certain that uh that maybe christian did i mean uh with but with tom though you definitely understood that uh, that it wasn't gonna be it's gonna it wasn't gonna be a long time. At least I did. It wasn't gonna be a long retirement. A healthy man <laughs> running the league, and you're right, upstaging Aaron. Uh, you know, for one, I think it's so good that uh, that Green Bay and him, uh, you know, ended up uh, signing off and uh, extending his contract there. Uh, my big concern, though, uh, is the first round draft choice. That young boy that they that they want to. Um, they want to replace uh, Aaron with uh, Jordan. Uh, Jordan Love, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. You know uh, what? What are they going to do with him? I mean, it, it seems to be like uh, there seems to be a, an absolute quarterback shuffle in the in the NFL right now. Um, so maybe he's gonna maybe he's in line to go someplace. And you know, uh, you know, I listen. We have David Carr, on, you know, on my team, uh, the Raiders. Um, I'm sure, you all know that. Um, you know, but we always need a good backup. 
Derek, by the way. David's the other one that played in uh, oh, Houston. So it's okay. That. It's okay. We know what Man, you mean. Man, I we, can't believe that. We know that. what you mean, but that's okay. Shame on what, me. What I want to know. Delete. What I want to know <laughs> is this: in terms of Brady, right? He's back off the top. We played you what we thought was his last touchdown pass to Mike Evans. <laughs> well. Mike Evans isn't the only one who's a little bit perturbed by Brady coming back, in oh, a sense. Man. How about the brother that paid over a half million dollars <laughs> for what he thought was Tom Brady's last touchdown pass? Now it's just a, a, a another piece of leather. Listen, I first of all, hey, I, 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 I really shouldn't laugh because oh no, you should laugh because it's <laughs> it's just not funny. And and for I mean, I you know I understand the memorabilia game. I you know I have you know I have tons uh, you know of that myself, and I definitely you know people uh, buy things and 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 are collectibles. Uh, yes, for all of you uh, getting Donovan Bailey memorabilia around the world, no, I'm not coming back. So don't worry about it. Uh, but that man paid five hundred and eighteen thousand mm. dollars. For a football that was probably worth eighteen dollars the next day, and I imagine that. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, the ball is always going to have value, right? But it will never be the last ball. Right? Will there ever be a last ball? Oh yeah, I'm, I am. I am a hundred. <laughs> listen, I'm a. I'm a hundred percent certain that uh, there will be. A last ball. It's just not going to be that ball, and and uh, you know maybe, uh, but maybe the value of his last last ball, Jason, will be about a million bucks. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I feel sad for that guy. Well, at five hundred eighteen grand for, uh, you know, for uh, you know Tom Tom's last thrown football. I mean, that's a nice investment, and I hope that uh, that person uh, finds some way in which he can recover that money or. Uh, have Tom, you know, do something else to help him out. The NFL, it's like the gift that just keeps on giving. You know, I mean, we just continue to get news from this league. Brady unretires. Rodgers with the big deal. Now we're into the NFL free agent frenzy. We had the combine. Russell Wilson to Denver. Uh, Carson Wentz going back to the NFC East. Now with the Washington Commanders. Are they, they called now the Commanders? Commandeers? I think it's Commanders. I'm just playing around. Yeah, I, I, bring back the football right. team. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky to Pittsburgh. The last piece to fall into place, I guess, under center, Deshaun Watson. W- yeah. Where does he land? So a lot of football talk. Where is Deshaun going? Yeah. Where is he I'm going? I'm here in Carolina. I'm hearing New Orleans. Yeah, to be continued. Right? Amid's is off. Amid's is is, is off field uh, problems. He's a very good quarterback, so I'm hoping he lands someplace, uh, probably in a setting uh, where he can uh, mitigate uh, his off field uh, right. issues and just uh, focus on football. All right, enough football talk. You're listening to Donovan Bailey running things, powered by Acast. Uh, hey, what month are we in? Oh yeah, March. Madness. Coach Drew and Baylor complete college basketball's greatest rebound and rebuild with a championship. How many of you out there had Baylor, Baylor beating the Zags last year? Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. I don't, I don't blame you. It, nobody could have possibly predicted that. Now, if you're thinking of Baylor going back to back, Last team to do it, Billy Donovan's Florida Gators, 06-07. Before that, Mike Krzyzewski's Duke Blue Devils, 91-92. So it's very hard to repeat the feat. 
we started out with over 350 teams going after this championship. Now we're down to a field of 68 Right. And soon to be diminished down to sixty four. There you go. And then we then the dance. Starts. Then the dance starts. Then the dance. The music mm, starts. Mm, 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 <laughs> mm. So yeah, I can't wait. Uh, listen, this is a, I've said it before. Mm-hmm. This is the greatest month of sports. Uh, you know, team sports in the U.S. Uh, March Madness to me is the is still um, uh, you know it's it's the greatest month uh, where you will see men. Uh, you see boys uh, turn to men. No, oh. not, not the music. Just the... <laughs> just, not, not <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke. It's probably we not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but go. but uh, yeah, this month, uh, you will... You know uh, that I'm right. Man, shut up. All right, man. okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm saying that. This is you, the first time you told me to shut up, and I agree, by the way. The, the good okay. idea. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> what I'm saying to you, Jason, yeah. is that... You see, uh, you know, 16th ranked, 14th ranked, 12th ranked, 10th ranked teams, um, young men um, that that feel that they have uh, they have their one shot. It is one shot, by the way. Uh, so you get to see a lot of these young kids uh, in pressure situations, uh, and 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 this is probably the greatest. Uh, time for NBA scouts and for fans ourselves and and for fans to to to, to look at the next uh, greatest uh, basketball player. So I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the tournament. You know, I got one question for you, dude. Okay, who, who's your who's your who's your final form? Oh man, it, it, you know what? To be honest, I have yet to bracketize. I got a couple days. Bracketor, so, yes, boy. So next time <laughs> we will give you our bracketorial. But for now, you just have to put on. The breaks because I, I will not reveal that. What are you Next talking about? Next week on the show, I will reveal. Yeah, but who you can't. But you can't. Oh yeah, I guess you can reveal it next week. Yeah, I'll reveal we'll, it next we'll, week. We'll just starting. Yeah, okay, good. I mean, well, I, mean, well, I be... have my four, but clearly, okay, I'm not giving it to you, dude. Okay, I mean, like you, you listen, you ain't giving me nothing today. So hey, listen, I'll, I will I'm, say I'm this. holding out. I will say this. <laughs> yeah, the Zags are one of them. <laughs> Arizona, lurking in the weeds. Arizona. I know they're one of the number ones. By the way, in case you're trying to fill out your brackets, the number ones that you need to keep an eye on, um, we're going to keep an eye on, obviously, you know, Gonzaga. the favorites, plus 350. Right. Gonzaga, they're not winning. Arizona's in the mix, so has a number one seed. Kansas and the defending, defending champions from Baylor. Yeah, that's going to be a big game. Arizona will be my pick to win it all. Really? Yes, but I will give you the remaining parts of the brackets. You, you, next you, you gave me four just now. Those are just number ones. Oh, okay. Those are number one seeds. Right. But I am going with Arizona to win it all. That I can reveal. What? Who is your number one? Uh, I can't reveal. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you just I, gave I, me I, crap I, for not... Okay. No, no. I did, no, so listen. I'm, well, it's one of those teams that you picked. I mean, I, okay. I really think that the Zags is going to get back in and, and do it. That's plus 350 for them. Yeah. Of course, we've got to talk money because that's what it's all about these days. Arizona, plus 600. Kentucky, plus 800. Kansas, plus 900. Baylor at plus twelve hundred, the defending champions. Auburn, Duke, not far behind at fourteen hundred. How sweet would that be if Mike Shashevsky pulled this off? It it's not going to happen, but it would, it's nice to think about. It. Listen, Coach K is, um, you know, one of the one of the greatest coaches that ever walked. Uh, one of the greatest coaches that ever coached the NCAA, and and certainly one of the greatest men to coach men to be men. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so I'm a big fan of that, and it would be good to. Uh, it would be good for him to. I mean, yes, as you said, it's probably not going to happen, uh, but it would be good to to give him a good send off with the with the championships. Sixty four turns into thirty two. 
which gives you the Sweet 16, the Elite 8, the Final Four, then the Top 2. It'll happen fast. I know it seems like it's a long time, but it is ferocious. It's a frenzy. It is a lot of fun. That's why I tell the kids. I said, this is what I binge watch. If there's a binge watching thing that oh I ever do, yes. it, it is it is NCAA basketball. I'll be up with toothpicks in my eyelids saying, no, I'm not missing this game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is something that, uh, you know, me and my friends have, uh, well, I've attended uh, several times. But, uh, but yeah, being, the fact that I cannot attend, uh, we will definitely have a watch party for all the games. And speaking of wagering quickly, forgot to mention this off the top. Right before Brady's announcement of, you know, coming back, mm-hmm. there were two significant wagers made in Las Vegas on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Just, you know what, somewhat appropriately enough, those wagers were made before the announcement. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I'm now very pissed off now, Jason, because. So it wasn't you. I didn't get a call. I was trying to. Dude, I didn't get a call. I was trying to fish it out of you to see if it was you. Dude, you would have gotten a call, too, if, uh, you know, I'd say, hey, put the bank on that. I think the the old man's coming back. Speaking of the old man coming back, it's a nice little segue to some golf with Tiger Woods. I mean, golf is just not the same without the legendary one. You know, his 82 PGA Tour victories, his his 15 majors, his, oh my goodness, eight back surgeries or whatever, eight different surgeries he's had, the poor guy. But anyways, this was a big time slam dunk. It's now official. And what a way for him to walk through those hallowed doors of the Hall of Fame with his 14-year-old daughter, Sam, giving him the you know, introduction speech there. That, that was a thing of beauty. Jason, I tell you, um, you know, this is his um, gold medal, I guess we could say. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, we all know, well, if, and if you didn't, uh, welcome uh, to the world. Um, the, we all know that Tiger was a first-round ballot Hall mm. of Famer. And... Um, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, for, to celebrate my my uh, walk, uh, Canada's Walk of Fame, with with my with my son, uh, with my son Matthias, and uh, and and I think that the the like having Tiger and having his like his daughter's oldest child um, give him away or whatever. <laughs> present, yeah, pre- that's pre- a cool presenting. way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying to you that there's there's no uh, there's no better. Uh, celebration. There's no way to celebrate anything in life uh, better than with your family. And uh, you know, Tiger. You know, obviously, it's you know, he he. We know uh, his golf is 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 top shelf. Uh, but you know, uh, this is just really good to see a man and his child. Uh, you know, celebrating together and 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 also celebrating in front of the world. I, I think that Tiger's. Uh, you know, you guys all know that. I'm a huge Tiger fan, and and um, you know I, I know that he just got inducted in, in the in the in the Hall of Fame, which 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 was a given. But selfishly, I want him hope hoping that his his back and his leg uh, you know get uh, get better, so we can actually see him seeing see him on the links yeah. sometime in 2022. Tiger and Phil, those are two names, you know, synonymous with golfing for so long. And and both of them right now, it kind of feels like their future on the links is, you know, somewhat uncertain, right? I mean, for different reasons. Exactly. Phil's got the issues going on with stuff that he said. And obviously, he's retracted statements and trying to trying to make uh, amends. And then Tiger said, hey, he can play golf. That's not the tough part. Right. For Tiger, it's being able to walk those courses, right? right. 
Especially right. those courses that are not, not, not well, there are no PGA courses, it feels, that are flat. But you know what I mean. Right. Some are more um, undulating than others. Well, maybe they'll give, maybe they'll give, uh, they, maybe they'll give him the, you, do you remember Martin? Uh, the, he was a golfer um, many years ago. Uh, Casey that, Martin? No. Ca- no, was it Casey what, Martin? Was it Casey? Was it okay? Yeah, he and they they allowed him to. Um, what was it? What was the, the ride the cart? Yeah, they allowed him to ride the cart. Yeah. What, do you think that they would do that for Tiger? It came to my mind. You know that yeah. they would do whatever necessary. Yeah, because I'm telling you, golf is just not the same without Tiger Woods. Hate right. him, love him, like him, leave him. The, the you know the numbers show it. Statistics show whether it be at uh, the ticket gate. Whether it be in front of the television, um, on whatever, it's well, not well, the same well, with the Tiger Woods. Well, ratings. I mean, you're talking about an athlete that has impacted sport around the world. I mean, mm-hmm. Tiger Woods. I played golf in high school. Obviously, Tiger was uh, not around then. I'm older than him, but I played golf in high school, and I hated it. I really mm-hmm. did. Uh, you know, I mean, growing up in Oakville, there's certainly lots of friends that whose father played, who, whose fathers uh, played golf. But I hated golf then. And and I'm saying to you that when you look at, you know, it was Calvin Pete, but then Tiger came and made golf cool, man. So, you know, getting like, you know, signing in it's a great deal and, and, and mm-hmm. getting some fantastic clubs. I mean, I you know, it, it allowed me to enjoy the game. So Tiger's impact on golf, Tiger's impact on golf in, in his community, uh, well, racialized community. So what you have is, you know, a lot of black kids think that they can play a lot of Asian a lot of Asians that 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 obviously love the game. They've been playing that. A lot of women, you know. So Tiger's impact on the game has, has been phenomenal. Uh, obviously, TV, uh, JP. Wow, TV. We all know that if Tiger is playing, if he's actually no, <laughs> if Tiger's coming to commentate, that's what we learned last year. If Tiger is just showing up to 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 sit in the booth and 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 chop it up with the fellas, uh, the ratings go up. You know, so that the impact of that is 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 absolutely phenomenal, and and yeah, I I his his impact, one he deserves everything that he that he that he's been given, his impact is next level. His impact is 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 uh, you know the best, probably the best in the world, and like I said, selfishly for me, I. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that he he gets back on get, get he gets back on like he can walk something like you know maybe we need to get some track training I need to call him up we need to we need to do some sort of uh, no we do like in in track training we do like we, when you do base training essentially you build your body to to you build your body to kind of take the, the the wear and tear of an entire season so right. uh, it probably would be really I mean I know that 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 he, he does like his weight workout dry land training but it would probably be good to just get like six eight weeks of really good base training I'm very certain that my coach Dan Paff could write him a good program and, and he could get to a place where he can at least play you know a few tournaments a year where he can walk because we can get him we definitely can get him stronger I'll volunteer to go train with him believe me I'm glad you brought up the race part of things with Tiger, because obviously he was the first player of black and Asian heritage right. to to win a, a major, and that was at the Masters in 97. But part of his speech, you know, he spoke of facing discrimination right. as a young golfer. And he told a story about going to a country club to play at a tournament, and he wasn't allowed inside the clubhouse right. like the other juniors. Right. Why? Well, because of the color of his skin. Right. So Tiger said, quote, so I was denied access into the clubhouses. That's fine. 
Put my shoes on here in the parking lot, he said. Mm-hmm. I was asking only two questions, he said. You know what those two questions were? Where is the first tee and what's the course record? Yes, sir. That was tease. Listen. If that doesn't move the needle, nothing will. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, you know, my father always told me the greatest way to get back at somebody is to be successful. And one hundred percent. And I'm telling Jason. I mean, you know, you know, you, you know how it's it's like with your parents, yep. man, and my parents, and 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 that's part of it. maybe it's the West Indian background then, <laughs> where they kind of go, what? Okay, yes, man, deal with them, right? And 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 to me, like listening to that story, I mean, certainly I've got, I'm I'm writing, I'm I'm writing a book, so I'm certainly gonna you know, share a few of these stories also, uh, you know, where you kind of go, okay, you, you're denying me, right? So you don't want me to be here. Oh, wait, no, no. What, you, do you really think that I'm, I'm just here to, you know, uh, play a silly game or uh, to be a participant? No, no, I'm, I'm about to do some things. So, uh, you know, I, I love that. That story resonates, oh. I'm very certain, with probably every Every kid, every black kid, every I'm just that story resonates with with millions of people, and uh, yeah, that him telling that story um, uh, definitely puts um it, it puts a marker on 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 how incredible this man is uh, today, showing up as a kid and also been prepared with his his father preparing him uh, to let him understand that if he showed up, uh, there's no night, there's no no time to cry, man. Let's mm-hmm. uh, you won't let me in, no problem. You'll hear, you'll hear all about me. All 18 holes later, you'll hear all about me. Thank you, and Turn, have a good day. <laughs> 100%. Turn that frustration into motivation. Well, and, uh, yeah, no, he's opened so many doors for other golfers. I mean, even uh, ladies for the longest time weren't allowed in certain courses. It, it's ridiculous. But, obviously, finally, we're getting past that point. But... Speaking of black golfers, Harold Varner III was in it for a little bit there at the Players' Championship, the richest purse in golf, $20 million. But in the end, it's the Australian, Cameron Smith, who gets the $3.6 million top prize, second win on the tour this year, fifth overall for him. And my goodness, he was just solid, DB. I mean, his putting, he had, what, nine one-putts, I think they said, on the back. He, he was just unbelievable made a bad mistake as opposed to a good mistake uh, a bad decision in terms of you know club choice but put it in the water on 18 still able to to secure it by one one stroke yeah listen you know what's what's great is that um you know it's the middle of winter here and 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 uh, we're starting out watching great golf at this time of year so i was very very happy for that although uh when i did speak to you jason i said man i can't believe that um this was upstaged by tom <laughs> yeah oh yeah this did he play too but you know what he, he can play you oh well i don't know if he can't well i did, did you remember when he played yeah yeah and, and he uh and they he had was, that foursome it was like him was, and phil against is it uh, uh peyton Owen? no it's peyton and and somebody else oh no the one i'm talking about was a little bit more recent okay well but whatever. anyways whatever yeah, yeah. but anyways great go- listen yeah. it's it's, it's uh, he can play though just uh, well, I, I I should hope so. Uh, it, you, you are any natural athlete picking up a pair of clubs. I mean, it, it, you know, everyone can play golf. Not a lot of people can play great golf consistently, and that's what makes them professional. And that's what separates them from I'll say us uh, because you know I'm, I still think I'm a novice. Uh, but um, but yeah, you know, I'm very certain that uh, Tom picking up clubs is if, if he can't play real well the first game. 
it is uh, very easy for him to 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 uh, to get it together and 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 come back and naturally uh, hit that ball and become a better golfer. So the one I was referring to was that big sky in Montana. It was the match. Bryson DeChambeau, Aaron Rodgers defeated Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady three oh. and two. That's the one I was thinking of. That was oh, going okay. back just to last July. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, geez, yeah, Brady can Brady can do it all. Uh, India's Anurban Lahiri. Ranked 322 in the world. He was solid. He was second. Uh, gets 2.18 million. Never heard of him. Yeah, there you go. Never heard of him, but he's got some cash. Now you have. Now yeah, you have. But again, and, and this is what golf is. I mean, you know, sometimes when, when I have to discuss uh, and talk about like track and field or the Olympics or whatever, someone cannot fall out of the sky. You always know there's someone hovering there. Now, I did not hear about this kid. There you go. My God, man. There you go. You know, congratulations. That, that is awesome. The beauty of it, right? I mean, the top few there, we had some different, uh, you know, not just both Canada or the U.S. I mean, the winner, obviously, Australian. Second going to India. I think um, Paul Casey ended up third, if I'm not mistaken, American. So, yeah, it was good to see. You spoke of the Olympics. So, it's almost like you're you're reading my mind here because I want to move think, over there. You think. Right? I want to <laughs> move over there and, and put a wrap on the Paralympics because ah. it was a lot of fun. Credit to all the athletes you know, persevering just to get there. I mean, you're a winner. There are no losers, in my opinion, when you get on that Olympic stage. China leading the way with 18 gold medals. They had 61 overall, followed by Ukraine, 29 medals. Canada rounding out the top three with 26 medals, eight gold, and then yeah. France and the U.S. of A. Well, listen, the, you know, in light of, uh, you know, what's happening in the world, um, you know, I, I think that uh, shots out much respect to the Paralympians. For them to go on and put on a show amidst all what's happening in the world, man. And, and, and the fact is that, uh, you know, as, I, as I've said before, and I'll say it again today, uh, I think that there wasn't enough coverage of the uh, Paralympics. I always feel that um, I think that the, the Olympics and the Winter Olympics should be expanded a little bit. Uh, just to include the Paralympians, I, I I think that they deserve with the amount of work, uh, you know, physical and mental work uh, that these uh, incredible athletes put in. I think they deserve the biggest stage uh, with every eyes on them. Uh, you know, so again, congratulations to them. I mean, I know tons of the Paralympians, and anytime I see them, uh, anytime I'm anywhere, uh, you know that the, you know, I know that they're incredible fans of mine, as I am of theirs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is, um, it is awesome. Uh, you know, uh, you know, watching watching a few competitions. Uh, you know, it's it's always great to see uh, people um, who are that disciplined and that focus. Uh, you know, doing doing things at the highest level. So, uh, you know. Uh, good luck to them, and um, you know, let, let's uh, let's celebrate their incredible victories. Yeah, put on a great show. Congratulations to everybody involved and those athletes. I tell you what, man, just yeah, just love watching that. Um, we sort of, you know, crossed the bridge from the war to the situation with Brittany Griner on last week's show. Right. Um, efforts still happening in terms of trying to get her out of Russia. Um, more and more people talking about it. More and more people becoming aware of the situation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, as of when we're doing this show, no result yet. That yeah, the the um yeah, we talked about it last week, and obviously we'll just touch on it a little bit. I mean, what I, what I'm liking uh, is the fact that the WNBA and the NBA is um is making moves and 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 uh, and and obviously uh, has joined the the efforts uh, to to ensure that. Um, uh, this basketball player has returned to her family. 
uh, safe and sound. Un- you know, the unfortunate thing, uh, Jason, as we talked about last week, is that this is now a, she's now a political pawn, un- unfortunately, and um, she has, and, and you know, uh, you know, with things going on and and uh, countries negotiating. I'm just saying to you that you know, at the highest level, you've got you know a president, uh, you know. You know, there's a war going on. <laughs> there's a war. I mean, like I'm just trying to figure out, the, you know, the the politically correct way mm-hmm. that team's saying. Uh, there's a war going on. She's a pawn. I think that every everyone wants this to. I mean, I, I think that most people in the world would like to see this war come to an end, and 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 more importantly, you know, um, you know, stop the killing of civilians um, or innocent people. And uh, and and uh, you know, I I think the Britney's family. Uh, would like, I'm sure, to see her return safe and sound so she can come spend time with them and get back to being a family person and uh, and playing the game that she loves. Jason Portwondo alongside Donovan <clears throat> Bailey. This is Donovan Bailey running things, powered by ACAST from inside our Toronto Mike Studios. Football has the two-minute warning. You being a track guy... Let's run the anchor leg. We're going to wrap things up with a little bit of a blitz here. And on the weekend, we got the world indoors. You going Coleman, the defending champion, or you going Jacobs, the defending outdoor champion? Who you got? You know what? Um, I, I, one, I want to see a good race. I think Coleman, I think we better. No, but hold up. No, I'm just trying to let me. Okay. I have to think about this, Jason. Okay. Um, because clearly, I'm I'm apparently the expert. Like I'm Tyson the global expert. Here. The hope we see a good fight. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, I think that Jacobs has a slight edge. Okay. Right. Um, I uh, Coleman Coleman is the world record holder for the sixty. And but I mean he's been out for a while. There, I saw some race rust. But the good thing about Coleman though, he's fearless. So I, I mean, if you put your money on Coleman winning, that's an actual good bet. The the issue is that Jacobs is just a bigger guy. So if if I always look at front foot, if Coleman gets out and he essentially drops his front foot faster than Marcel, then Coleman's gonna. I don't think that 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 um, that Jacobs has has the bandwidth yet to run him down at sixty meters. He can do it at a hundred, but I don't know if he can do it at sixty. I got to tell you though, if Su Bintang from China is competing, I think that he has an outside chance of winning. Okay. Yeah. All right. So good so, races. So those. So yeah. So that's so so that's my three almost winners. Right. <laughs> Nobody rides the fence like Donovan Bailey. <laughs> All right, dude. Um, I, listen, I gave you. I gave you what I think. I yes, mean, I don't I know who I'm going to put my money on, but you know, I'm sure we're all going to be watching. Friday to Sunday, looking forward to it through March 18, 19, 20. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun in uh, Belgrade, Serbia. Also, looking forward to the ladies 400 and that women's 400 meter. We're going to look at the double Olympic champion, Shawn A. Miller Weibo. Yeah. MK Ball, that's 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 a matchup there. So we will talk a lot more track and field coming up on the next edition of the show. But for now, we move on to soccer. You said you're a Man U fan, right? Yeah. We've got four teams that have already moved on to the quarters. Bayern, Liverpool, Man City, Real Madrid. That Madrid game, that was... My goodness, that was a crazy match versus PSG. Uh, PSG fans just, you know... 
just lacing their team on social media and then going and like putting graffiti all over their uh, you know their locker. That's what you do. I know they're very passionate, and it, it's the way they lost. There is there is no there's well, I mean, for they for, were up for, one nil, and Benzema went crazy. But I'm saying anyone in North America that doesn't that doesn't really understand you know what loyalty and passion is. Mm-hmm. You, you should you should actually you should actually um, you know. Lend an ear, or, or 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 look at and observe how it is that um, fans are in the Premiership. Just just look at oh. them. <laughs> just, just put it this way: you can't even sit with the opposing team in terms of fans. You can't. There is a supporter section. You know, if you're not like here, if you're related, you can't. Oh if goodness. you're if you if you have if you're father and son and you support different teams, oh, yeah. you might not be allowed in the house. I'm just and it this for real. I mean when when you the, the the support, the generational support, the intense generational support is fantastic. Yes, I'm a man you fan. Uh right. you know, but you know, it it is what it is. This weekend we'll have the uh, quarterfinal and semifinal draws. Looking forward to that. So those four teams are through. Chelsea pretty much through versus Lille unless something weird happens, but the other three matches uh uh Villarreal, Juve, Benfica, Ajax, Atletico, Man U, all up for grabs. The final thing, baseball's back. Oh, Players' yeah. union and the owners agreeing on a new five-year deal some 99 days later in terms of the lockout. So April 7th, play ball, a full 162 games. Trades are underway, free agent movement, blah, 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 blah. How excited are you? Are you a baseball fan? Am I a baseball fan? I like to play baseball, funny enough. Can you hit a baseball? I can absolutely hit a baseball. I, I think that I would have made it to the league if I actually played baseball in... in, in, in uh, well, one, I played We know cricket. one thing. They wouldn't have to give you the steel sign. Oh, <laughs> no, man. He's, he's ready Imagine gone. that. He's standing on second. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that in, like, in the park home run, like every game. How many times would you steal home? Uh, every time. <laughs> No, I, I no. There's a bloop single in the center field, and he's on third. <laughs> I, I I love I love baseball. My my problem with baseball was that I was I was such a I was a kid I was I was such an energetic kid that I couldn't really stand there. So I wanted to be playing. Like so, even now when I go to a game, right. I actually want. I don't want to. I don't even want to sit in the stands. I, I want to be up in the box where I'm doing things. Where I I'll go to a baseball game to actually have a meeting, Jason, because they, I I like I like to be active. I like lots of stuff going on. So I love hmm. the game. I'm supportive of the game. But five hours, man, four it's or not five. That bad. Come four on. Five, okay. Okay. Golfing <laughs> because I'm always doing something. Right. But no, the, golfing because I'm always doing something. That's right. fine. And 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 um, you know, am I hitting the ball? And and also, usually, I'm having a good laugh right. with the fellas, or or having a cerebral conversation. Uh, but yeah, baseball. I I love to go to the games uh, with a bunch of people, and and uh, and I'm usually in the box. I'll I'll, I'm, I'll certainly go down, um, you know, and wave to 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 fans and so forth. But uh, you know, but I like to I like to be up up in the box when when the game's going on. Yeah, the only problem with baseball, in my opinion, this season is too damn long. You got double of right. hockey, double of basketball, 162 games. It's a lot of, lot of games. Yeah, it's it, a lot of It's games. the only sport where you could lose 10 in a row and still win your division. Pretty much any other sport. <laughs> right. Imagine losing your first 10 games in football, you're done. If you lose the first two in football, they're already talking about, oh, can you make the playoffs? Yeah, imagine having Baseballs. 25 games in a football season. That's more important. Yeah, imagine that. Wear and tear, they couldn't do it. <clears throat> oh, you'd die. They couldn't do it. They couldn't die, do man. it. Oh, be, man. These men would be dead. We will take Donovan out to the ball game one of these weeks here on the program. But for now, 
We are done. A reminder to please follow, like, share, subscribe, be a part of this podcast throughout uh, any means possible. Social media, your various podcast providers. Just look us up, tune us in, and turn us up. Yeah, yeah. Until next week, Jason Portwando, Donovan Bailey saying thanks for the company. You have listened to another edition of Donovan Bailey Running Things, powered by ACAST from inside our Toronto Mike Studios. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Uh, be safe. Peace out.